This morning, I want to bring to you a third message in this series, Coming Soon. This phrase, Coming Soon, if you were to see it as a, as a heading for a sermon series, you'd probably associate it more with the second coming of Jesus. That's the norm. But I'm using it on this occasion in connection with the first advent to underscore a really important point that we must not miss, that what we are actually doing is is not celebrating an historical event. We're not particularly remembering an historical person called Jesus even. But rather Christmas is a time to celebrate and and rejoice in the recurring miracle that Jesus continues to be born in the lives of believers. It's not just an historical event that's happened 2,000 miles away and 2,000 years ago, but rather it happens here and now in the West End and, and wherever believers happen. We shouldn't just be talking about the child Christ being born uh, physically and historically, but rather as an ongoing reality in our lives, in the hearts and lives of boys and girls and men and women everywhere. So that God can do his will not just then in, in so loving the world to send Jesus, but God can do his will now through you and through me. And there may even be those in our meeting this morning or those who are listening to a recording of this message in their home or in their cars who ought to be thinking about Jesus coming soon. That coming soon could actually be now. It could be here. It could be this morning. It could be wherever you are. I'm using this theme of of coming, uh, coming soon as being a present reality that God can come into our lives, he can come and forgive us our sins now, he can come and make our heart his dwelling place, he can make his tabernacle his dwelling place within each one of us, that we can make part of the Lord's prayer, our prayer today, that thy will be done, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, that that can be our reality. But the miracle is not just a possibility for non-believers to become believers, but it's a possibility for all who are Christians. That it's not just about us being saved whenever we were, were saved, but it's about us continually allowing Christ to do his work within us. That we were saved, we are being saved, and we will continue to be saved in that sense. That Jesus will always come soon. That should be the case, shouldn't it? That we should never be standing up and giving testimonies that are 10, 20, 30, 40 years old. We should also be able to stand up and say what the Lord's done to our lives today. How God uses yesterday. It should be that Jesus coming soon all the time into our lives. It was why, why Charles Wesley was able to pen those wonderful words. Finish then thy new creation, pure and spotless let us be. Let us see thy great salvation perfectly restored in thee and this is this coming soon recurring thing change from glory into glory coming soon day by day change from glory into glory till in heaven we take our place till we cast our crowns before thee lost in wonder love and praise that's the awe of the advent story isn't it not just looking back 2,000 years ago because it's happening today every day in the lives of each one of us. It's why we sometimes sing, and perhaps start off a Sunday morning meeting, by singing, new every morning is the love our waking and uprising prove. 
Because our experience of God should be new every morning. Our experience of God should have a sell-by date on it. That whatever experience of God is today, it should expire by midnight tonight. Because when we wake up tomorrow, we can say, new every morning is thy love. And it's a recurring thing that, that Jesus continues to be born again and again and again in the lives of each one of us. Coming soon, in this sense, is also at the heart of the conversation which Jesus had with Nicodemus. The only Irishman in the Bible, Nick or Demas. It was never a good joke. But in that conversation, in that encounter that Jesus had with Nicodemus, remember what it was about? Nicodemus, this high Sanhedrin guy, you must be born again. And then Nicodemus, with typical Irish humor, says, what, must I be born again? Must I, must I enter my mother's womb again for the second time? And he said, no, not being born physically, but you need to be born spiritually. And it was to Nicodemus, he may not be Irish, but it was to Nicodemus, this guy, that Jesus spoke those words we often use today, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. For Nicodemus, Jesus, was to come soon in his heart as well. It's why we can sing the words in the carol we've, we've just sung. O holy child of Bethlehem, descend to us, we pray. Cast out our sin and enter in. Be born in us today. Because Jesus is coming soon. But now in the remaining time I have in this third message, I want us to particularly to consider one of the characters we have in the Christmas narrative. But before I introduce uh, who this character is, uh, I want to refer you to a text that we read in John's prologue. He came to that which which was his own, but his own did not receive him. He came, Jesus came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. It's so easy to overemphasize the message that Christmas is a time of joy as Jesus came into our world. We can sing our carols, we can hold our parties, we can pull our crackers, uh, we can have a, a good old knees up at Christmas and s- to celebrate God's gift of Jesus. But this text and other texts in Scripture remind us that the fact is that the announcement of the coming of the Messiah was not good news for everybody. Jesus certainly was rejected as much as he was received. Jesus was not only a wanted gift, but he was also an unwanted presence for many. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. His own rejected him. And the Gospels give us some examples, of course, of that rejection. Fairly soon, of course, afterwards, we think of King Herod, who who murdered the infants in Bethlehem in order to try and kill this new king. And then, of course, Jesus, when he began his ministry, returned to his hometown of Nazareth and and they they, they chased him out of the synagogue and and almost threw him over a cliff, but but, but he escaped. And then, of course, finally they arrested, tried and executed Jesus. He, He came to his own, but his own received him not. Not everyone had the gift that they wanted on that first Christmas. But as I said, I want to shed a light on this text in order to illuminate one character 
in particular. And the character I want to shed a light on this morning is Joseph, the carpenter from Nazareth, the man, the young man who was betrothed uh, to Mary in marriage. And I'd like us um, to think about this character this morning. And if you will, would you share with me uh, these verses from Matthew's Gospel, chapter 1, verses 18 to 25. And please respond as indicated on the screen. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother, Mary, was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law, and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins." All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophets. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him, and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. Amen. So let us uh, look for a few minutes uh, to uh, Joseph. And what we really need to understand, um, first of all, is to remind ourselves that, you know, Joseph is no fairy tale character. We've known him so often. He's a wooden character on our nativity sets. Uh, he's, uh, you know, the young lad uh, in the nativity scene that we find in our Sunday school. But, but Joseph was no flat character who just walked on and off the stage. He was a real-life person with understandable emotions. He was a, a person, a, a young lad who'd met a young girl in Nazareth and, bless him, he fell head over heels with this young girl. And uh, I guess... Um, behind the scenes somewhere, behind the text, he must have one day asked this young girl, uh, would, he, would she marry him? And she said yes. And these were two young lovers who were uh, betrothed to each other uh, to get to married. They came from uh, the, the town of Nazareth. In those days, about 300 in population. It's a very small place. And so these were two young lovers who came from that place. They were real, real-life people. Let's remember that real people and before we really start to get into that here's just a little brief video clip to help to get into the real life story of this moment when Moses had to tell Joseph that she was pregnant the Bible tells us that they were committed to each other in marriage the New International Version uses that word pledge. They were pledged to, to be married. The King James Version uses that word espoused. And the English Standard Version, that they were betrothed to each other. The message, paraphrase actually, incorrectly uh, translates it engaged. Uh, 
Uh, they weren't engaged to marry. The, the, the word that is actually used is the Greek word shidukin. Now, shidukin isn't the same as being engaged. Shidukin, in Jewish tradition, is the first stage of marriage which usually lasted for about a year, uh, about a year before the wedding night. And unlike an engagement, it was a legally bound thing. You, in order to cease this shidukin, uh, they had to, it had to be nullified. Uh, they had to be divorced, in a sense. It had to be a legal action, which is so unlike uh, our knowledge of uh, being engaged. And if Mary and Joseph were just engaged, it would make a nonsense, wouldn't it? The next verse, where we read in verse 19, that because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law, and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her, Quietly, We wouldn't have those words, a husband in divorce, if they were just engaged. It's because they weren't engaged, they were shidduchin together. They were legally brought together in wedding, in, 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 wedding in a sense, but before even they had their marriage night. And once we understand that, I can introduce to you another word from these texts which I want us to think about for a few moments, and that is the word considered. In the next verse, verse 20, we read uh, these words. But after Joseph had considered this, in other words, considered what Mary just told him, I'm pregnant, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. So Joseph was considering, you can see that in that last freeze in that video, can't you? You know, Joseph, how do I respond to this? That the girl I've committed my life to is telling me she's pregnant and yet we've not consummated our relationship. What's he going to, what's, what's Joseph going to make of all this? Now the Greek word that Matthew used when he wrote his gospel, the Greek word is the word that you can see on the screen. So let's say it all together. Yes, I thought you'd struggle somehow. We could do with Maria and uh, Polis uh, P- P- Pantelidis here coming to help us with this word. Well, I'm able to give it to you in our English alphabet. Here it is up on the screen now, which is pronounced enthumiomai. Enthumiomai. I'm not teaching you Greek, but it's really, I think, important you just see this one word. Because this Greek word, enthumiomai, actually means to think, you know, it's thought, to ponder, to deeply consider. So the translation consider is not a bad word. And this word is used four times in the New Testament. But the interesting thing is, is this word has another meaning. And I'm grateful to Kenneth E. Bailey in his excellent book, Jesus Through Middle Eastern Eyes, for bringing to my attention the fact that this has another meaning as well. That enthumiamai actually talks about, as well, feelings of indignation and of anger and of boiling up with rage. It's, it's actually the root word right in the middle of, um, of that word is thymos, where we get our word thermos. When you think of heating up and boiling up, that's, where, that's the same kind of idea. In other words, Joseph, whilst he was considering and thinking and pondering of these things, he was boiling up inside. He was angry. He, he was, we might use the word today, he was fuming. He was fuming at what Mary had told him, that his beloved lady of his life was pregnant and not by him. And once we understand that 
word and the meaning of real meaning of the word considered, I can take you back to what I want to talk about this morning, that the coming of Jesus was not good news for everybody. It wasn't good news for Joseph. His world was shattered when he learned that Mary was pregnant. The angel, of course, had not yet appeared to him. I mean, what else was he to think about? He would have never thought that Mary could become pregnant by any other way other than that she got pregnant with another man. How could she be pregnant and still a virgin? That was impossible. The girl who he had pledged his life to was now pregnant by another man. It was unthinkable, but surely there could be no other explanation. And furthermore, as a Jew, Joseph knew what this meant. He knew that as a Jew, that the law meant something very serious. That, that law we actually have now recorded in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 22, verses 23 to 24. If a man happens to meet in a town a virgin pledged to be married, and he sleeps with her, you shall take both of them to the gate of that town and stone them to death. Could life possibly get any worse for Joseph? Not only was the love of his life pregnant, but she was about to be stoned to death. Certainly, Joseph had much to consider, to think about, to ponder, to be angry about, to be fuming about. Jesus was coming soon, but this was not good news for Joseph. This was nothing for him to get excited about. Joseph was not in the Christmas spirit, I can assure you. One thing we must all have in common, each one of us here this morning, is that from time to time we receive bad news. Bad news about our health. Bad news about a loved one dying. Bad news about our job. Bad news about our finances. Bad news about so many things. We all receive bad news from time to time. And as Christians, we need to grapple with how we actually deal with those moments. Those moments when we can feel disappointed and angry and indignant about things. Well, from the example of Joseph, I want to suggest three things that we can do when we receive bad news, when we ourselves are disappointed and angry. And the first of all, I want to suggest that we reflect. We need to, like Joseph, find some space to consider, to reflect, to, to get some sense, as Joseph did. It's so easy, isn't it, to, to act and to speak or to do something in the heat of the moment. And whilst I was preparing this message, I saw a quote that someone had posted on Facebook which says this, you are, human, you are a human being, not a human doing. <laughs> well, that was quite good, actually, because so often we are into doing things. But maybe it's sometimes it's about us, about us being. Maybe think, reflect before we do anything. But also we should reflect upon God's promises for us as well. Reflect on what what Jesus would do if he was in our shoes. As the Bible commentator Matthew Henry once said, it is the thoughtful, not the unthinking, whom God will guide. And remember what Paul wrote about in Philippians 4, verse 8. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think, consider, about these things. These are the things we should think and meditate about that will take us to a better place rather than 
anger and revenge and perhaps reacting in a way which we'll, we'll, we will regret later. But following that time of reflection, there's a time when we need to respond. And Joseph, having considered and having fumed, decided that he would respond. And amazingly for a Jew, he disregarded the law. He disregarded the law about stoning. And instead, Joseph decided he was not going to make a public example of Mary. But rather, he had decided that he would divorce her quietly. This happened because of what we are told previously about Joseph. We are told in verse 19 that Joseph was a righteous man. Some translators say that Joseph was a just man. He was a religious man. Joseph was a man after God's own heart. Joseph wanted to act as God would want him to act. Instead of wanting to get revenge or usurp himself over others, Joseph acted with mercy, forgiveness and respect. We shouldn't only be Christians, you know, when all is well. But we should endeavour to do what Jesus would do, even when we're angry. When really, when we get bad news, when, when we're in a bad place, when we feel there's injustice. That's when our faith is tested, and, and that's the time when we can respond in ways that bring honour to God. Which leads me to the final point, which is this, that we need to reprocess Again, I'm grateful to Kenneth E. Bailey for that phrase he uses to, to describe Joseph's response. I just love this phrase he uses. He, Joseph, was able to reprocess his anger into grace. I just love that thought, don't you? That in this moment of considering, and in, even in this moment of distress, Joseph, because he was a good man, a godly man, a righteous man, a just man, he was able to reprocess his anger into grace. How I wish I could always do that. How I pray that Jesus, as he comes into my life, will be able to reprocess my anger into his grace. How I pray for us all that when we receive bad news, we can allow God to reprocess our responses so that it can be good news and particularly good news for the kingdom. And now I pray, how I pray that in this world which has so much bad news, that Jesus will come again soon into our lives, into our situations, into our distress, into our anger, into our disappointments, that dear Lord, come into our chaos of our lives and in the chaos of our world and bring your stillness and bring your loveliness and bring your peace and bring your grace because if ever we need you, Lord, we need you now. How silently, how silently that wondrous gift is given. So God imparts to human hearts the blessings of his heaven. No ear may hear his coming, but in this world of sin where meek souls will receive him still, the dear Christ enters in. I pray that that ministry will come to us this morning and that we will, will receive the ministry of Jesus and that in the chaos of our distress and anger that Jesus will come soon. In that stillness, in that calmness, he'll come in, the dear Christ will enter in once again.